Never convince him to be with you. Do this instead. In this video, you will discover the few steps that you have to take in order to have a secure, long-term relationship with the partner that you truly desire to have. Hi, I'm, of course, your host, Antje Boyd, founder and creator of the Magnetize Your Man Method. And today I have a very special treat because I have Ryan Ricewick here with me today, who is, of course, a family and marriage therapist. And just that doesn't even begin to crack it. Hey, Brian. Hello, Antia. How are you? I'm so excited to have you here. I've seen you so many times, ladies. I actually met Brian um, at my church. So he's like doing couple panels, speeches. on We watch everything that we can get our hands on that is about um, Brian Reisig. So, so, Brian, let's talk about, um, you know, when we say, you know, never convince him to be with mm. you. What's sort of like the conversation that we're starting here? Like what kind of woman, what kind of perspective is she coming from when she wants to convince the man? The convincing, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you're starting with the right question. And, and you know, I just want, I want to start off by saying I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I have become, I, would, I will say that I have become in the last couple of weeks since we connected, I have become a little bit of a magnetize your man nerd. Mm-hmm. I I've just been blown away. I'm so honored to be on the podcast. I've just been blown away by your content. And the the reason I bring that up right now is just because um, the question, it brings you back to something I've heard you mention many times in your work and this brilliant content you you bring to ladies is that the question is we want to orient first. We want to understand if I am in a state of convincing, if I'm in a state of like, there's there's a, a part of me that wants to hustle for connection. I feel distance. I feel separation. I feel disconnection on some level. Maybe I'm more sensitive that, to that than my partner. And I want to hustle. What we want to orient in is what's activating in that moment is what we call an attachment style. And obviously you've talked about this many times on in your work. And I, I think you help women orient in that so brilliantly is that to orient first, if I feel that distance and I'm, and I have the impulse to convince the first thing I want to do is pay attention to what's happening in inside me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Which I is be important to- because most like the, the attachment style you talk about uh, tends to be more other focused, right? So it's not necessarily intuitive for those anxious, other focused women who are looking at, oh, is the, is the smiling changing? You know, is the eye contact changing to actually say, oh, it's actually now focus on you. So keep going. Yeah. Yes. No, it's, it is absolutely counterintuitive. And the survival strategies that we learn so young when we have a more anxious attachment style, they actually take our attention away from the need. The other side of that dance, um, so if we talk about an anxious attachment style, and we and, and I'll, I'll put into my words how I describe that, it, what that effectively means is that deep down, I have the potential, not the default. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm living in anxiety all the time. I have the potential to question Am I loved here? I have the potential to question, am I really seen by that person as worthy of their connection? Am I, do they delight in me? Do they cherish me? The other side of that dance, maybe because oftentimes, most often, statistically speaking, somewhere around between 60 and 70% of the time, anxious people with an anxious attachment style, there are not anxious people, there are anxious attachment styles. Most commonly, get into relationships with people with more avoidant attachment styles, which is a different 
It's a different fear. So a person with an avoidant attachment style, they're questioning the other person. They're, they're saying, whoa, can I, can I count on you? If I bring my heart to you, are you going to honor it? Are you going to be responsive to it? Are you going to make, are you going to tell me that what I'm feeling makes sense? Am I going to, if I enter into intimacy with you, is it going to feel safe? So they keep a distance. A person with a more anxious attachment style, they're questioning, am I good enough for the relationship? So while the avoidant person locates the challenge outside and they say, okay, my job, what feels safe is to keep my distance. The anxious person locates the problem inside. And so they're, they're constantly, the, the impulse, I should say, the impulse is to close the gap and reassure themselves. And so starting with that awareness, starting with that, I'm feeling that anxiety. Maybe I am, I haven't heard from him in a couple of days, or maybe he responded a couple of times and it felt flat instead of more enthusiastic, instead of more engaged, instead of more pursuing. And now that anxiety is getting activated. All that's happening is that my brain has these invisible tactics that wake up, they turn up the volume on my need to feel close to you. And most of the time, the need comes out in ways where it's like, I'm seeking proximity, I'm seeking closeness, but I'm doing it in ways that often push them away. So if I can first orient, okay, I'm feeling that, I'm feeling that anxiety, I'm feeling, I'm questioning, am I loved here? Um, Am I enough here? Do they want me? First thing I want to do is care for my need, not buy into the, the attachment strategy that says the only way I can feel secure is if you turn to me. Mm-hmm. because that puts all the power outside of the self and usually pushes the other person away. And it's so interesting, right? Because if you really think about it, so on the one hand, the anxious attachment style is other focused, but then on the other hand, they're actually not other focused. They're actually asking themselves, like, am I good enough? Or did I say the wrong thing? Or did I right? like, you know, absolutely. absolutely. It's, the problem is internalized. So they think the solution has to come from outside, which causes them to be focused on the other person. Whereas an avoidant person, the problem is externalized, which causes them to focus on the way that I solve this problem is internal. I pull away and I meet my own needs and I don't turn to you. So the more maybe critical or the more uh, smothered an avoidant person feels, the more likely are to pull away further, which actually just exasperates the dance that we do together. Most often, couples seek out therapeutic support somewhere between three to seven years into their marriage. And it's because the same dance that started when we were dating, the dance of anxiety and avoidance, it's gotten so exasperated, it's gotten so painful that now they feel they don't know what to do with it. And so they come in and we we start to date. Okay, like what's happening between you two? When... Something I just I love about your podcast and 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 the and the coaching that you do in all your work is because it helps couples orient in what's happening before they get into that catastrophic territory. So not only is a woman who has the awareness, oh, like my anxious attachment style leads me to try and solve the problems in ways that actually don't solve the the core need, and which leads them to actually form much more healthy, reciprocal, open communication. Where um, where they're actually they're they're able to show up in a way that says I don't need you mm-hmm. if you don't choose me I'm okay but I want you and if you want to choose me I'm here and I'm open to love with you so we we form a different relationship from the get go with your kind of your wisdom but also 
the intensity of the alarm system, right? The level of fear and the level of anxiety comes so comes so far down just when I'm able to orient what's actually happening. Absolutely. And like remove, I always tell my women, like remove the stories, right? The interpretations, yes. the fill in the blanks, right? Like, oh, this means this. And he smiled or he didn't smile. He called or he didn't call uh-huh. or, he put, or he put a smiley face, you know, like now we're on text message um, land, you know, and we're just like, it, you know, especially for the anxious attachment, like I always say, the phone is an appointment setting device. Like as an anxious attachment that I can't imagine something worse than text messaging, right? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's like the first piece. It's the first piece of guidance I give couples. Stop texting when you're in conflict, when you're you're trying to like, when you're scared, when you're worried, when you're angry, stop texting. It's it's a recipe for disaster. It's so true. Yeah. What what would you say? When, like one of the go ahead. I was gonna say just just to like. Uh, emphasize what you said a second ago. And it makes sense why texting is such a recipe for disaster. Because when we're doing those really unconscious, those nuanced dances, so let's say I have a more anxious attachment style and it's and that attachment style is getting activated. What do I feel? I feel worried. I feel frustrated. I feel anxious. I feel insecure in my relationship. And so I, my brain switches into a more vigilant state and I become hyper-focused on very subtle data. So I'm looking at my partner, just like you you named a second ago. He didn't smile when he said that. His tone of voice sounded different. And they've done these brilliant neuroscans where they're, they're paying attention to couples' brains as they're engaging in conflict. And they realize that our partners, their brains process visual and, auto, and, and tonal data, meaning like the position of my eyes, the sound of my voice. They process that, their brains process that data six times faster than they process the words that we're saying. So if if you're uh, coming to me and you're saying, hey, you felt really distant lady, lately, is something wrong? And I say, no, nothing's wrong. Your brain disregards the words that say, no, nothing's wrong. And it focuses on the tone of voice and the facial expressions because that feels, to the brain, that feels like much more reliable data. And if I don't know what's happening, you could actually be trying really hard to reassure me, but you're overwhelmed too because you don't know how to help. No, I said nothing is wrong. I don't know how to help you and I feel overwhelmed and I'm trying to reassure you, but your brain is actually rejecting the reassurance and it's focusing on my distress. Uh, I know I'm, I'm kind of getting off into nerd territory, but to me, it's helpful to say, oh, that's how we escalate so rapidly. Uh, yeah, so true, right? It's- the brain almost like sees what it expects to see. So if I expect to see um, distress, right? Because I judge myself that I said something that was worthy of like causing distress in the partner, then they can't say anything at all that would put me back into my parasympathetic nervous system response, right? Like, and, that, yeah. and then of course, that can be, of course, so frustrating for the partner because then, you know, and I hear that from women all the time where, men get get exhausted right and you know i heard one man say he's like you know i'll treat you like a queen but you have to know that you are one right i like and what he meant wow. was i don't want to you know what i mean i don't have to reassure you like every single time like no you are worthy no it wasn't meant to be this way no it has nothing to do if you are just had a stressful day at work let's say because that's another thing that the anxious does right like they make it all about themselves. So let's say you come home from work and let's say you just had a stressful day, you know, maybe you had a stressful client or whatever. And maybe you're not as, you know, as communicative as you normally are, or warm. 
immediately yeah. what does the anxious do? Like, uh, like what's wrong? What did I do wrong? Right? That's like, right. oh, I didn't yes. make breakfast this morning, or you know what I mean? You know? Yeah, I didn't. Absolutely. Say- I, what's wrong? I Meaning, what the question is? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What's wrong between us? You, know, yeah. you nailed it, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it and it goes back to so if if the first intervention that we do for ourselves, whether we're dating, whether we're engaged, whether we're married, the first intervention is awareness. I have to orient to what's happening. And I think it's so empowering to say, I have a more anxious, what I learned growing up was a more anxious attachment style. Now that I know these things about myself, it empowers me to care for myself, which is step two. Um, And it empowers me to show up in a way that I really want to, that feels more congruent in the relationship. So if the first step is orienting, step two is what we call, or what I call redirection, meaning, okay, so now that I know what the need is, I'm feeling insecure. I'm really, what my, what my brain is craving is in some cases, overwhelming reassurance from you, for you to turn towards me with joy in your eyes and hold me close and say, I delight in you so much, to be so responsive, to feel so pursued. You might not feel that yet because we're still forming a relationship. You might have just had a bad day, like you were saying, Antia. Like you might just be in a bad mood right now. So for me to orient, say, okay, I can tell what I'm feeling. I know what that alarm system is. Where else can I get some reassurance? Where else can I go and reconnect with the fact that I am wholly worthy, whether or not you choose to be close to me right now or not? I love the language you use in your in your work, we say, I'm a queen. There was a, one of the podcasts um, was when he feels distant, what do you do? It was one of the, was one of the podcasts I was listening to. And he was focusing on if I can reassure myself that I am, that he is lucky to be in a relationship with me. Like he should be. So if I have that posture of I am a queen, I am worthy of love. I am, I don't need you to turn to me in this moment to know that I'm okay. If I can access that somewhere else, sometimes it's internal work, which we do a lot in therapy. Sometimes it's other really safe attachments in my life, a good friend, a family member. For many people, that relationship can be God. But if I can first ground myself a little bit and then discernment comes after that. So we're orienting, we're redirecting, and then we're discerning. I want to reflect on what does this data mean? Um, Am I dating somebody who's just emotionally unavailable because I don't want to know that I don't want to just continue to navigate through this relationship and um, keep my needs so at bay that you stay engaged but now I'm getting deeper and deeper into a bond with a person who doesn't really want emotional intimacy with me I'd want to be honest about that or um, are you overwhelmed you know like you 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 nailed like the number one question that comes up when we feel distress and this is for the more anxious person or the more avoiding person is we sense, we sense um, disruption in the water and we say, what's wrong? Something that I'm working on, even in my own parenting right now, is I'm trying to train that question out of my parenting and out of my relationship. It's, a, it's actually more, by this point in my marriage with Sarah, actually, I don't ask what's wrong very often. Now I ask, hey, honey, you seem like there's something going on. What are you feeling? I'm checking in with you. This is data about you. And now I'm even learning, I'm even bringing that into my parenting where my, you know, my daughter was getting really overwhelmed a couple of days ago and she was in the other room crying. And I walked in my first words out of my, honey, what's wrong? Right. You know what? I want to show up in that room. And I want to say, honey, you seem, you seem like something's bothering you. What are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. And we locate the agency, not just the, there's nothing, there might not be anything wrong. 
Maybe you just had an upsetting moment. Maybe a phone call with that person didn't go well. Maybe you just had a rough day at work. Maybe nothing's wrong. I don't want to train my daughter or my wife to orient in this something's wrong posture. What I want to reflect on is what's going on? What is it that I'm feeling? And that can be a really helpful way to redirect with the, with the partner. If they feel dis- distant, being really assertive and being like, you kind of feel like you've pulled away something. What are you feeling right now? Just checking in with them and letting, letting that, that be data about them, not data about me necessarily. Now, if they say, hey, the way you spoke to me or this thing you did, it really upset me. All right, now we're having open communication and that's really helpful, but we don't want to start off with the posture, the assumption that I did something wrong. What's wrong? And, yeah. and I love that you speak to that because, you know, so many times I was just talking with a client about this last night was, you know, we, we often like the anxious can go really go into this like confused and, and, and conflicted part inside of themselves, right? But they almost feel lost because back then when their parent wasn't responding to them, they really didn't know why, right? And then, and then some like just don't, don't yeah. do anything because they don't want to rock the boat. They're like, oh, if I ask, you know, or if I'm even assertive and say, hey, you noticed, I noticed you pulled away, right? Like that could actually cause more damage, right? Like versus actually saying, um, you know, I'm just going to let him, you know, so that's what I see a lot. It's this kind of sort of, you know, there's like this lost feeling, this confused feeling when he, did, when he reappears, it's also like men who are kind of appearing, reappearing, disappearing, uh-huh. kind of thing, you know, um, but what can a woman do to actually validate her own emotions? Because obviously she has to be true to herself and not pretend oh, no, it didn't have an impact that you disappeared or it didn't have an impact that you shut down or that you're stonewalling me and, you know, all the things, right? But at the same time, also, yeah, bring a certain amount of compassion to him as well. So it's kind of like almost marrying the self-compassion with the other compassion. Like, how? how what's a good way for her? Oh, Auntie, that's so good. That's so good. I, I've, I really come to believe that really authentic compassion towards other people it really is rooted in the ability to have compassion for myself. So even, even like we're talking right now, and it, it takes me back to your, your title, which I love so much, never convince. And what do we, so if we, if we reorient, what is that um, kind of that general blueprint of a more anxious attachment style? The problem is in here. And so it, it sends my agency outside of me. I'm powerless in these situations. And I go into a place that's more critical or more needy or more um, overwhelmed. What we want to do is we want to remember that the power, actually my power, my agency is always internal. I, that can't be taken away from me. And so it brings back to uh, well, what, what you were just saying a second ago, the, um, the sense that, remind me, what was your last comment just a second ago? Well, it was like, how do we balance between the self-compassion and the other compassion, like, like validating what was going on for us and saying what we need, but also understanding you know, since my women deal with an avoidant attachment style, those are more attachment styles that have been like abandoned or didn't get, you know, like not only did then some didn't get any communication, some have like massive, you know, they were adopted or they were given up to foster home or whatever the case may be. So how do I find that balance, right? Because, you know, we always have the compassion for other people, but also how do we find the self-assertiveness? It's sort of that right mixture, right? That right alchemy, so to say. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yes. What exactly what you said that my ability to reconnect with my own power and my own agency in the relationship 
and even even to extend the kind of like compassion and and generosity of perspective right the way that i view you shifts if i start with my own needs as valid and my own needs is something i can meet i am able to meet my needs even if you're offline if i start there i separate myself from you in a healthy way just enough so that i'm able to turn to you and i'm saying hey you feel distant what's wrong why because you don't hold all the power in my life right like the avoidant person is much more much more likely to feel safe emphasizing the separateness of two people the more anxious person is much more likely to feel safe emphasizing the unity between two people and the reality is a healthy relationship balances those two things that we are separate and in our separateness we come we become really unified yeah absolutely yeah my my husband calls it sitting in the tree he's like just closing his door he has this massage chair and i just know that's a separate time, you know, and it's like, and it's great, right? Because I really believe that I married a man who has like a slight avoid tendency, mostly secure um, mm-hmm. for me to heal, right? For me to come into sort of like that golden middle and how much, you know, so how much emphasis should there be on like validating your own emotions? Because, you know, obviously you don't want to get into fights, you know, arguments is okay, you know, because we have different opinions, but um, fights about like, no, you, but you don't understand, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm angry or, I'll, you know, I don't want you to leave the house because I'm afraid of, you know, whatever, or I don't really trust. Let's talk about that, right? Like what the anxious attachments that I can actually do to stabilize the trust inside of themselves, because that's one thing that the anxious doesn't do. It's like, they're not trusting. I mean, I know the avoids are not trusting either, but they're dealing with it. Yeah, it's different, right? Um, well, I, I actually love where you start. Where you started actually feels like um, the right, the right starting place. So when you think about um, if I have a more anxious attachment style, I'm feeling powerless in the relationship. Um, what I really want in that moment is I want a sense that that person is turning towards me with real authentic self-awareness and say, okay, you know, you know what? I actually am feeling frustrated or I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. When I have access to what's happening internally for them, I'm automatically going to feel more secure. It really requires that we have an honest relationship with our own heart. So I take a posture towards the emotional world that um, emotions were never intended. Emotions don't want to be the lens you see reality through. They never intended to be that. They're, They're not supposed to dictate how we behave or how we think. Emotions are an alarm system that inform how we're coding the situation. And you named it 100%, Antia, that when I'm really young, the degree to which mom and dad feel really responsive to my needs and really tuned into me, I'm going to secure, I'm going to form what's called uh, what you, that, that uh, really, really powerful word, a secure sense of attachment. And so my, um, the way that attachment theory is usually kind of broken down is people will say, oh, there's secure attachment people, anxious attachment people, avoidant attachment people. And there's actually a fourth bucket called um, what they might call ambivalent or fearful or disorganized, where they kind of oscillate between the two. It's a pretty small population. Um, Having been working with people for the last 12 years, I actually, I see people in extremes, absolutely, more wounding, more trauma. We get polarized into, into more severe avoidance or more severe anxiety. But the reality is everybody gets overwhelmed. And everybody, even the most, even the person with the most kind of 
secure, secure attachment style, when they get overwhelmed, they're going to teeter into one camp or the other. They're going to lean. Mm-hmm. And so what we want is we want the relationship to actually be a, a space where we get to practice secure attachment because the way that attachment heals is that we show up in a secure way. We show up in a way that's honest with ourselves, assertive to the other partner, respects autonomy and invites unity. And the other person responds to us in a safe way and secure attachment feels more and more and more safe. And as it feels safer, it feels more and more intuitive. It becomes easier and easier over time, which is how you see uh, you're coaching your clients and you're helping them become self-aware. And then one, two, three years into the, the marriage, a secure attachment style is automatic. It's, it's effort. They do it automatically. Why? Because they've had corrective healing experiences in that relationship because they were able to show up. A, they were able to show up differently. And B, they had safe, responsive experiences with the partner, right? So all that to go back to, it's helpful to say, what is my goal? When I'm feeling overwhelmed, when that anxiety gets really activated, maybe I'm, I want to pursue, I want to... Um, I'm feeling critical. I'm feeling angry with them or I'm feeling, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling kind of left behind by them. What we want to do when we're naming that emotion, we're not naming it to declare a state of emergency. We're naming it to orient. We're naming it to say, okay, I can tell that I'm feeling this right now. I wonder what it is that I need. I probably don't need them unless they've violated a boundary for me. I probably don't need them to turn to me in any sort of specific way for me to be okay. I probably can get that need. So even when I'm turning, like when we say that redirection, orient redirect, redirection is taking the need to a place that feels more reliable, more stable, and more appropriate. What we're doing in that space is we're naming the emotion so that we can release the stronghold that it has over us. So I turn to my friend and say, I'm really feeling that anxiety right now. I'm taking deep breaths. I'm orienting. I'm letting them validate. Hey, girl, I get it. Um, I want you to know that I love you. I'm here for you. No matter what happens, you're a queen. You're going to be fine. And and I'm down-regulating that alarm system so that I can go back to them and I can assess uh, what's the need here in this relationship. Do I need to give you some space and just see if you pursue me? Do I need to boundary myself and say, hey, the way that you responded to me before, I'm not okay with that. I'm, I'm not going to engage in that kind of dialogue, whatever it might look like. But it's hard to do that discernment work where I actually know what the need of relationship is if I'm not really well oriented first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good point too, because so many women are also empaths, right? So they don't even know exactly how they feel. So it shows up in two different ways. Either they can't even pinpoint the emotion. So they describe it, right? You know, they say, you know, this is how I feel, you know, I'm like, but they can't say I feel stressed or I feel angry, right? They will just like go into stories. So they spiral out and disassociate more or it's so convoluted that they don't even know what's their emotion versus what is the other person's emotion, right? If they're like really sensitive, Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of women who are like highly sensitive um, emotionally, but they sometimes don't even know, wait, you know, which part do I need to give back to the other person and which, you know, like, am I actually really angry or am I just angry because you were angry and actually I'm sad. So yeah. what can a woman do either, which in which either, you know, because that's really important according to you, right? Like to re like to orient. So first of all, we need to make sure we have the right North star. So to say, 
you know, yeah, well said. to go off. Yeah. And it, it allows you, the more oriented you feel, the more like um, we name, we name the distress so that we can disarm the bomb. So we, I'm feeling angry. One of the things that we're training our brain to do is that to say it is okay to feel angry. Anger is not a dangerous thing. Anger is just letting me know that I'm coding what's happening here in a certain way. So it's it's helped us say, man, I wonder why am I feeling angry right now? Is it because they didn't text me back for two days? Am I feeling angry because of the way that they responded, the way that they treated me? Um, can I name what feels like the boundary violation? Am I feeling fearful? Am I feeling anxious? So we want to help um, name, I wonder why this emotion is coming up, all of which we're carrying we're caring for our heart as if it's a friend of ours. We're caring for our heart. Like if I'm able to allow myself to name, I'm going through something and it is valid. It might not be rational. That's okay. Emotion doesn't need to be rational. That is a, um, that's a pressure. That's a bar that we shouldn't put on emotion. Emotion is just meant to alert us. So if I say, you know, what, I'm allowed to feel something really intensely and I'm not going to act on it. I'm going to understand it. And I'm going to trust that when that emotion is understood, it's going to de-intensify. That's normal. And then it'll help inform, what do I feel like? Doing? Maybe do I need to adjust some beliefs that I'm carrying? That if um, you're not contacting me one or two times a day, then I'm not important to you. Do I need to re reality check some belief system? Do I need to boundary myself in the relationship? Do I need to practice some vulnerability? It's hard to know what to do if I feel like I'm... I'm running around with this live bomb. You know, first we want to disarm the bomb. We want to say, okay, I'm feeling something. What is it and why? And then I want to choose, okay, what, is it, what does it look like to move forward and to uh, walk out that wisdom? Emotion is just, um, positive emotion is obviously wonderful to feel. Emotion that we've described as difficult, it's just an alarm system. It's letting you know something. We want to know, what are you trying to let me know? Oftentimes, especially when we grew up in environments where our emotions and our pain weren't well attuned to, or even worse, were treated with distress. Like mom or dad said, you're too sensitive or mom or dad said, you're always angry or you're always this. We don't trust our emotions. So we treated it hostile and what we resist will persist and it grows over time. So we want to welcome that to the table and say, I can handle this. And in the infamous and uh, eternally wise words of Mr. Rogers, we want to take, we want to teach ourselves that what we're feeling, our emotions are mentionable and manageable. And that is, if we were to sum it up, that is the ground level of healing our attachment style. It's just reassuring myself that what I'm feeling makes sense if it's understood right and I can handle it. And then that, I, that will inform the way that I want to turn to my partner in a way that doesn't push them away. It doesn't hold them responsible for uh, my worthiness, my power or my emotion. I don't want to hold them responsible for my emotion. I want to hold them responsible to be responsive to me, to be able to validate my emotion, be able to show up for me. But um, it, it creates that space where we can have separateness. And out of that separateness, we can have a deep feeling of connection and unity. Um, I feel like I'm fire hosing right now. So let me know if I need to slow down. You know, this really reminds me of what my husband reflected back to me because I said, you know, when I had this, we were just dating for a couple of weeks. We met in Hawaii and, you know, in one night I was breaking down in a hot tub. Um, and, you, you know, I was like, what, what made you think I'm not crazy or what made you 
trust that emotion, right? Like, so it was like sort of an emotional breakdown. Mm. And, you know, one thing he said was, well, I was wondering if, is this you every day or is this you at your worst? And mm. right. It's like, you know, because he was coming more from the, from the avoidance side, but left me more anchored. A little bit more from the avoidance. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, like, absolutely. okay, you know what I mean? Um, and then he proposed to me like eight months later, the night after I was the biggest pitch to him. So again, the same thing. I was like so angry. <laughs> right. And I'm like, babe, like, you know, literally when he proposed to me the next day, Brian, I was like, I was a ghost. I was, I was so shocked. I was out of my body. I just, I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> you know what I mean, as a matter of fact, I told my girlfriend <laughs> the night before he's not going to propose anytime soon. I think he's going to revisit the whole thing. Right. But I think part of it is like, so what I hear you say is for one, he saw that I was holding responsibility because I did, I did tell him before that I was an anxious attachment style and this is how I can show up and things like that. Right. So gave him some frameworks. I mean, he had done his own work already anyways. He knew about it, but, um, but that's what I hear you say, right. It's like basically saying, you know, there may be an expression of that anger, but I'm not putting it onto you. Like I am taking responsibility for it. Right. I'm not saying, right. You're going to solve this problem now that why I got so angry, but like, Oh, I'll, I may get angry or I may, breakdown like I'll have here's my tools here's what I'm going to do with it but I just may let you know it may just you know because uh, I have some fire inside of myself um it may you know it may come up spontaneously explosive um but I don't expect you to solve this is this like a good way to approach this it's brilliant it's so great you are you're doing two things not only are you helping create that space that you need to heal in the relationship, right? I'm saying, hey, sometimes I'm going to get dysregulated and I don't want you to panic. I, I'll come back down. I'm not broken. I'm not crazy. I'm a really normal, healthy person. And I don't expect you to take ownership for that dysregulation, for that distress, for the anger, for the pain that I'm feeling. You're creating the space for you to heal. You're also creating you're like speaking the love language of somebody who leans avoidant, right? Because what they're looking for is, can I count on you to be responsible for you? Or are you going to try and make me responsible for things that I don't know how to own, which causes them to pull away. It's, it's, you're speaking straight to the safety that they need when, when a, a, a more avoidant person, maybe they're, maybe they actually have a pretty steady, secure attachment style, but they lean a little avoidant when they hear their partner say, Hey, um, I'm angry, but I want you to know that I'm going to process what's going on and I don't hold you responsible for my anger. Their armor comes down in the same way that for a more anxious person, when they hear their partner say, Hey, I don't get it, but I want you to know I'm here and I want to understand what you're feeling. Meaning I see that your experience is valid. Mm-hmm. The armor starts to come down. I'm safe. We don't need to solve this problem right now. You're tuned into me. What I'm feeling matters to you. That's the safety I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And of course, that's advanced. And what it takes is, uh, so let's actually go along with your steps. But one thing is like courage. Is that part of your steps? Mm-hmm. Like finding yeah. the courage, right? Because I could have said, Brian, if I say that to him, then it's, it's going to be over because he's going to know that I can get angry or that he, I can't, you know, at least now I can still pretend I'm, you know, yes. all this great. And I just hope, hope and pray, fingers crossed that 
that I somehow don't explode in his presence or that I somehow don't break down in his presence, right? His fingers crossed. I'm going to try real hard. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And and vulnerability, the the, the pathway to integration, the pathway to healing is always behind the door that feels the scariest. So for that avoidant person to say, whoa, my person's overwhelming to me right now. I don't know what to do for them, but I'm going to, I'm going to remain. I'm going to stay engaged. I'm not going to like own something that I feel like I can't own, but I'm going to do the vulnerable thing for me. And I'm going to stay emotionally engaged with what's happening. It's the exact reverse, right? For the other person, I feel really overwhelmed and it feels like the only safe thing. The only thing that feels really safe right now is the idea that you just take responsibility for what I'm feeling and reassure me. The vulnerable thing is to be able to say, you know what? I can take responsibility for what I'm feeling. And I can say, um, I do get overwhelmed sometimes. I love that so much because after, after, after doing clinical psychology for so many years, you realize there are no people that don't get dysregulated. Everybody gets dysregulated. I do my own work constantly. And I still get, I was just, I was just uh, doing a talk um, on Wednesday where I was sharing, like, it's not that I never get frustrated or, or, or get close to losing my temper anymore. It's just that my wife and I have a really good system for when she senses my tone change, she says, Hey, sweetie, you good. And I tell her, thank you. I am good. And I keep parenting or I say, Nope, I'm out. You're, you're taking over. I'm tagging you in for the parenting moment. Everybody gets dysregulated. It's the people who have a non-fearful, positive relationship with the way that they get dysregulated that defines real emotional resilience and health. So when you share, it's actually the exact, I would bet you for most people, it's the exact opposite. For you to share with your partner, your dating partner or your engagement or, or spouse, to share them, I, I, sometimes I feel some things. Sometimes I get really, I get really worked up. I get really frustrated. I get overwhelmed. And you say that with a calm about like, Hey, this is me. Mm -hmm. I'm good. I know that this doesn't scare me. That is going to build so much confidence in them that this is a person who a knows themselves and who B knows how to care for themselves. I don't have to worry about managing them. If they know how to care for themselves, I just get to worry about showing up. So yes, it's it, you, you said it so brilliantly. That's probably one of the scariest things you can imagine saying. Sometimes I get overwhelmed. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I get really hurt. Uh, are you going to think I'm needy? Are you going to think I'm not healthy? Are you going to think I'm not somebody you want to be close to? When in reality, more, more likely, you can be like, oh, that's really refreshing to hear somebody say that. And it's actually going to create a lot of safety. It's going to create, a lot, okay, I can, I can hang through that then. Yeah. And especially, you know, for my husband, because he had come from a lot of women who were trying to like manipulate him, you know, Um, like I was actually saying a part of me wanted to manipulate you. That was after we had moved in together. And then he's like, really, how did you want to do that? And again, same story, right? Because we were like thinking, are you nuts? Because my internal dialogue was saying, and now he knows you're always manipulating him. He's never going to trust you again. And so we have all this like internal dialogues that are coming up, right? But it was actually not like that at all because he is, he already knows that women can do that, right? Because he experienced that. So he wanted to know more about how I do that so we can have the conversations ahead of time. And I mean, it just blew me out of the water, right? Because, you know, I thought oh, it's like, okay. oh, like, you know, <laughs> he's going to step back and he's going to be like, I got to go on a walk. Um, I got to, you know, 
freshen up my head, you know? <laughs> and Absolutely. Awesome. You, you probably had no idea that when you were saying to him, hey, sometimes I get overwhelmed, sometimes I get angry, you were speaking right to a wound for him that I may, I've had experiences with women maybe where instead of taking responsibility for their emotion, they made me responsible for it and they manipulated me. Mm-hmm. And just this woman telling me, she knows that sometimes she gets upset and she's not going to says to me, she's not going to try and control me because she has self-possession that she can, she can possess herself. Man, you, I bet, I bet that was like such a precious gift to offer him. Just like a simple thing, probably scared the crap out of you to say it. Um, But that vulnerability creates so much safety for the other person, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I I think we just have to think more long-term, right? Because I knew that it, like, you know, when you betray someone's trust, even if it's just like with an intention that you don't share an intention with them, it's going to come out anyways, Mm long-term. And I, and you know, I had this like, um, you know, story inside of myself that I was like, you know, if, if the relationship can't withhold that, it's not going to last anyways. So it's almost like just get it all out on the table now kind of thing, you know, um, not like, in a yeah. not like in a sabotaging way, you know, like, you know, how no. women can like say, Oh, how about that? How about that? How about I'm the biggest bitch now? Now, do you still love me? No, not like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, yeah, no, but absolutely. But to be able to say, Hey, I want to be honest about if you're going to be in a, an intimate, loving relationship with me, there's going to be moments where I get overwhelmed and there's going to be moments where I get bitchier. There's going to be moments where I get X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. You're, you're disarming the bomb before the bomb is even turned on it. So yeah, that's brilliant. Absolutely. Do we have anything left? Like what else should a woman do t- instead of convincing him to love her? Instead of, do we go instead of convincing, meaning convincing him to be close. Yeah, to be to, or to be committed to her or love her or in any way, shape, or form, like the soul convincing the him. Only thing, the only thing I would add to it is that that's the right place to start because you you don't want a relationship with somebody with whom you convinced to love you. You want a loving relationship with somebody who chose you. Mm. You know, so the. I love that as a starting place is that as I'm, as I'm entering into like maybe new dating relationships or um, maybe this, I'm actually in a relationship that's really serious. We're married or or it's gotten to a place of a serious bond. Even in those moments, if there are places where I feel them pulling away, I don't want to go into convincing because then I trap myself in a cycle of, I have to continually convince you to stay. You want the person who says, I choose you. And you do that by giving them enough space to choose you, right? So like we want to honor, by honoring our agency, we're honoring their agency. And let's say, let's say, I hope this doesn't happen. Let's say that you give them space, you give them their agency, you don't go into control or manipulation behaviors, and they leave. That is a successful relationship because you don't want to be in an interdependent emotional relationship with somebody who you have to do their work for them. That would be the only thing I would add on to the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's because then it almost becomes codependent, right? Like you carry the whole relationship. And then of course that builds resentment long-term and, and all the things. Well, so let's summarize. So what were the steps? So the first one was orienting ourselves. Like, what? I mean, 
even before oriented, my first step was oriented, even before orienting is what you're saying, Antia, is, is self-awareness. I need to know, do I have a more anxious attachment style? Um, I'm somebody who grew up with a more avoidant attachment style. Self-awareness allows us to orient in the moment, the moment of distress. So the first step in the moment of distress is we orient. We have to get really familiar with what the alarm system feels like and the tactics that I go to that aren't actually serving me very well. Step two would be redirection. I need to take that need and I need to take it to somewhere that can, that can meet it without being pushed away. A friend, a loved one, God, if I have a relationship with God, I need to take that need somewhere where I can process it with somebody and I can feel their validation and I can feel their responsiveness. So the, the friend might be doing something as simple as saying, Ooh, I get it, girl. I'm with you. I love you. I totally understand. And the alarm system's coming down. I've, I've done my redirection. And then thirdly, we want to talk, okay, what does it look like to discern and integrate? I want to ask the question, so what does this mean for my relation? Do I need to just do the hard thing and give him some space and let him come back to me? Do I need to name a boundary? Do I need to say, hey, something, something happened and, and it doesn't feel good. I want to talk to you about this. Do I need to do something else? So those three steps to me are kind of the, the 10,000 foot, the broad level before we act, we want to orient. Before we try and correct the situation in the relationship, I want to redirect and get my need met in a really safe way. I can turn to another person and be like, I'm so angry right now. And they can be like, oh, I get it. And I can bring it down to a place where I discern what is the need here. And then I want to turn. And even if I was to, to take a little bit deeper and build off of what you were saying, Antia, I want to turn towards them and I want to lean into vulnerability which might mean like, ooh, okay, I can tell I'm really overwhelmed this week or whatever that looked like. Leaning into vulnerability sets us up for deep safety in the long game. I love that language that you used, yeah. Mm, yeah, and you brought so many examples on stage, even like how you were vulnerable with your daughter. And I asked you, like, how did you know where's the boundary about her? Like, you know, right, we talked about that, that like, you know, how do you know, you know, that... Um, you can trust that level of vulnerability that she's not going to abuse that. Right. So, so there's, there's a lot that goes with vulnerability and a lot of stories that we have. Right. I mean, I have personally a narcissistic mom. So for me to be vulnerable is like the last, the last thing, right. Because like, I know that every little item that I share is going to be used immediately against me or being used to hook against into me. Right. So like, it really depends on the kind of woman what that vulnerability looks like. And then also the discernment of the right partner, of course, like you're not going to open up to a narcissist, like, of course, like to, you know, um, so there's like a little bit of discernment needed there as well. <laughs> oh, discernment. That's why, deserve, especially when you're talking about vulnerability, discernment is important because we don't want to set ourselves up to be re-traumatized, to be re-wounded. Yeah. And that's why we, vulnerability should be gradually increasing as trust builds in the relationship. That's why that first, what's happening, go to some place where I can, I can come back to grounded. I can come back. I can, I can feel seen and heard somewhere else. Then really discern what does it look like to show up in a vulnerable way that's appropriate and safe Yes. in the relationship. You know, just like you were saying before, if I grew up with a narcissistic parent, now we're talking about pretty visceral emotional abuse, abandonment and, and projection and, and a lot of upside down stuff. You think, okay, well, I want to be really intentional about the way that I gradually build trust and vulnerability in my adult relationships, because I know that something's healing. 
mm-hmm. my wound is healing in my relationship. That's what relationships are. We only get wounded in relationship and we only heal in relationship, uh, which is why I think a resource like you, Antia, is so brilliant for, for a woman who says, oh man, I haven't had the success I want or I, I'm not sure, I'm not, I don't feel super oriented when I'm trying to date. To have somebody like you that they can call on and process what's happening with and feel safe with you and then go and say, okay, what does it look like to take a small risk in this relationship? Uh, which might mean pulling back, right? Like the, it's just whatever feels vulnerable for me. Man, what a healing thing. I think it's just beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. So for the women who are like, gosh, I really loved what Brian has to share. Do you have either any free resources or a website where they can find you to find out more about how you work, get in touch with you because like, you know, like I said, I watch everything I can find on, on our Awaken, <laughs> our Awaken Church channel and all the talks that you've done. <laughs> you are so, I, I appreciate that so much, Nantia. Um, We are actually working on those right now. We are building a couple of things. We're building a website with an online course for couples and an online course We'll start with an online course for couples, which we're building right now, which should feed to two courses, one for uh, people more anxious and one for people with more women attachment styles. Those things are in production. So I'm more than happy just if you, if they ever want to reach out to me, ask a question, say, hey, Brian, do you have a good book recommendation for this? Or can I get on your wait list? They can always reach out to 619-800-800-5295, 619-800-5295. And they'll contact my staff and they can obviously whatever whatever resource anything anywhere i can help from here yeah oh it's so great i feel like you're so generous with your time and i know we're trying to leverage you as much as you as we can because everybody wants a piece of you you know ladies like all the pastors everybody works with brian my friend told me like oh you're talking to brian like hey, you know i'm trying to get on this waitlist so everybody's trying to uh, connect with you so i'm so excited to have you here and we can really spread it to all of our audiences on YouTube and on the podcast so that at least that wisdom is going to be able to be absorbed and integrated. So thank you so much for being here today, Brian. It was really such a pleasure. What a treat. Thank you so much. I really, it's just an honor. And if, if a time lined up, don't hesitate. I'd love to have another conversation like this with you. I'm really, I'm genuinely grateful that there are resources like yours out there for people to access um, game-changing. I can only describe them as game-changing. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, for the ladies who are new to my channel, don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel and share it with your girlfriends. You know, sharing is caring. And, you know, this is like one of the most valuable interviews I've done, ladies. So lots of love Mm -hmm. to everyone. And I will talk to you in the next video. Take care. Bye-bye.